Day 58 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, I think I said yesterday that they were making their final preparations before they set out from Mount Sinai into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. But today are the final preparations that they are making in Numbers chapters 8 through 10. We'll be reading today from the ESV by Crossway Translation. But before we get started, if you could please help us out if you're part of the Heart Die fan by hitting that like button, letting us know that you are here and ready to dig into the Word of God. Also, if you do not want to wait for the daily email and you want to make sure that you are on time with us, make sure you've got that notification bell on. There's a little bell right below the video that you can hit that lets you know every single day when the video comes out. That's the earliest time that you'll be able to jump into the Bible with us because the email will always come out later than the video actually does. So if you want to make sure that you're getting into the video as quick as possible, hit that notification bell. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. And if you have any questions at all, head on over to the show notes or the description box below. Hit that little more button and that will pull down a menu of all kinds of info. Or you can always go to our website, heartdive.org. So before we get into the word, let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for being here with us. We love you. We are so grateful for your presence. And we are excited to hear from your voice today in the book of of numbers, Lord. You have so much to speak. I've already had such an amazing time with you, and I know other people have too, as they've already read through this. But I pray as we come here today in unity and gather together, that you will allow our hearts to be as one in harmony, just the same way that the Israelites were as they prepared to set out into the wilderness. Lord, we know you are taking us on a journey as well as we are making our way to our own promised land. But even within this ministry, you're doing something in our hearts, oh God. It is something that is so special that really can't even be explained. Those of us who know it simply know it. So we're grateful for it. We thank you for it. And we just ask that you continue to guide us, Lord, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We want to know when you set out, we want to go with you. We don't want to go anywhere that your presence is not. And so I pray that our eyes will always be open to be able to see the glory of your presence, to hear the trumpet sounds, and to be able to march out whenever you call us. We love you so much. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to forgive others. And will you not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. In Jesus name. Amen. All right, starting off here in chapter eight. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you set up the lamps and the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. So remember this lampstand is also known as the menorah and Aaron did so. He set up its lamps in front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. And this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold. From its base to its flowers, it was hammered work according to the pattern that the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Stand. So if we go back here and we look at the placement of these holy items, this would actually be placed like this because this was the entrance into the tabernacle. We see the altar here, the wash basin, and then here was the entrance into the tabernacle. So the lampstand would actually be on the south side of the tabernacle and the light would actually light this area here of the altar of incense, the table, and then right before the veil and the Ark of the Covenant. And just as meticulously as the crafting 
thing of the lampstand was to be done, so was that placement of it within the tabernacle. And it was the only light source within the tabernacle and was to burn continually. And this wasn't random. Whenever God spoke in the beginning, let there be light, there was a separation that took place between the light and the dark. And this is why he commands the light to face forward and northward. Because once we receive Jesus, who is the light of the world, we are separated from the darkness in which we once lived. We're no longer tethered to it. And this is why the darkness of our past can never determine our future, because it is behind us. It does not light the way. God's word and his promise is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. He wants us facing forward and moving forward. You see, the moment we start going backwards, living in the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, we will start stumbling around and tripping over our own feet because there's no light back there. The only light is in front of us. So we got to look up. We got to start believing for greater things in front of us. And don't wait for a handout. Reach out and grab hold of it once you see it. So heart check. Are you stumbling around in the dark of the past? Or are you following the light that is facing forward? And secondly, when Jesus declared us to be the light of the world, the city on the hill, a lamp not to be hidden, but on a stand, he painted the picture of the church as the lampstand. But remember, we are not the source of the light. The source comes from the oil or the spirit of God. And when he tells us to let our light shine before others, it is always to be done so that it glorifies our father in heaven. And the only way that will ever happen is if we are simply providing the stand on which his light shines. See, we're just a mere reflection of his light. And one of the reasons why so many people are living in darkness is because the source of the light is all wrong. They're seeking significance within themselves, looking for approval from other people or from their success. And what happens is we become our own hindrance, blocking the light rather than being the light. So heart check, where are you sourcing your light? Are you blocking it? Or a Verse 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the people of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle the water of purification upon them, and let them go with a razor all over their body, and wash their clothes and cleanse themselves. So three things have to take place. The water of purification upon them shaving their bodies, washing their clothes, and cleansing themselves. Then let them take a bull from the herd and its grain offering, a fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another bull from the herd for a sin offering. So the grain offering was more like a gift, whereas the sin offering was to atone for their unknown sins or their sin nature. So it was a purification that would take place. And you shall bring the Levites before the tents of meeting and assemble the whole congregation of the people of Israel. When you bring the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites, and Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the people of Israel, that they may do the service of the Lord. Now, typically, wave offerings were usually either meat or grain. And so, waving the Levites, how would they do this? Perhaps they were just waving their hands back and forth over the Levites, but this would symbolize their consecration and the fact that they are being dedicated wholly to the Lord. 
Because remember when they would wave something like a piece of meat or a grain before the Lord, it was like saying, Lord, we know all of this belongs to you. And then God would give a portion back to them to be able to have that fellowship. So putting the Levites before them saying, Lord, they belong to you. And now God is going to give them back to put them into service. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls and you shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So this would be for consecration to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall set the Levites before Aaron and his sons and shall offer them as a wave offering to the Lord. So notice that there is no oil taking place in this purification process or this cleansing process because the oil was only for the anointing of the priest. So since this is not the priestly line, this is just the Levites in general, there would be no oil. And we can relate to this purification process or this cleansing process as well. Whenever we are saved and we are now dedicated as a living sacrifice to the Lord, the sprinkling of the water, well, that is a passive sort of thing that happens. The Levites didn't have to do anything the same way we don't have to do anything to be saved except to believe in the Lord, to declare that He did indeed die for our sins and He rose again. But the shaving is an active thing that they would have to do. And we too now, whenever we are saved, must participate in actively purifying ourselves constantly. And we do so through the reading and the studying of the word to allow it to wash over us. We do it through confession. We do it through prayer. We do it through repentance, through service. So there is still an active participation in the Christian life. Even though we're not saved by those works, Jesus saved us through grace. It is our works that are in response to that goodness and to that gift of grace that we continue to live out our life as that living sacrifice. And the purpose of them shaving their bodies, this was, if you remember, whenever the lepers would shave their bodies, it was kind of like going back to that innocence, going back to that baby-like condition, starting over. That kind of held that same sort of significance here. Verse 14, thus you shall separate the Levites from among the people of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. Now, when we look at the first four verses of this chapter, it may have seemed a little bit out of place. I mean, we got lamps sandwiched between the giving of the gifts that we read about yesterday, and then the cleansing of the Levites. But God doesn't do anything by accident. And here's how I see it. You see, God has given us the most precious gift of grace and eternal life. But once we receive that gift, we need a path that is illuminated so that we can distinguish our steps and the way that we should walk in that life that is set apart and non-conforming to the world. But you cannot have one without the other. You see, the church needs both light and holiness. Because if you only claim holiness and nonconformity with no light, then we're going to end up being self-righteous and condemning and judgmental. But if you only have light and you don't separate from the world, then you lead a life of compromise and you misrepresent God as one who doesn't view sin as seriously as he does. And this morning when I was scrolling through Facebook, I saw a post that actually had LGBTQ images and it read, if you follow a God that is in favor of this, you're following the wrong God. Now we know that at the core of that message, there's truth in it. The Bible's very clear about how God views this, but my heart broke because when I looked at who posted it, it was a lead pastor of a church. And I just thought, man, there is no light in this message at all. It was 
pure condemnation. There was no invitation. There was no mercy. There was no grace. There was no offering of freedom from any kind of bondage. I mean, it was just simply to illuminate sin. And if you think about the way that Jesus did things, he would correct people. I mean, he laid down the truth, but it was always done with love and mercy and kindness. He never condemned. He stood firm on the truth, but he also wept over Jerusalem. He prayed for broken communities rather than simply highlighting their sin. He died for a broken world, which includes, hello, every one of us. And it made me check my own heart. So I'll ask, do you have both light and holiness in your heart? Do you weep over and pray for those who are broken or only focus on their sin? Or on the flip side, do you compromise in watering down God's truth? Verse 15, and after that, the Levites shall go in to serve at the tent of meeting when you have cleansed them and offered them as a wave offering. So this is the whole point here is to actually go to work. So you can't get stuck in the preparation part of everything because that probably was more of the glamorous part of being put into the service. I mean, you're getting your badge, you're up there, you're going through this ceremony, it's exciting, but now you got to go into work. You got to go into the service. You got to go into battle. And remember, their jobs were to guard the tabernacle, to serve the priests, and also to transport the tabernacle. For they are wholly given to me from among the people of Israel. And this word wholly given, this is like saying given, given. Instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of all the people of Israel, I have taken them for myself. For all the firstborn among the people of Israel are mine, both of man and of beast. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated them for myself. And I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the people of Israel to do the service for the people of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement for the people of Israel, that there may be no plague among the people of Israel when the people of Israel come near the sanctuary. In case you didn't know who God is talking about, he's talking about the people of Israel. And the Levites were like a protective hedge, warning the people not to come too close and telling them or instructing them how to approach God. Verse 20, thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel to the Levites, according to all the people of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes. And Aaron offered them as a wave offering before the Lord. And Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that, the Levites went in to do their service in the tent of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. So there is unity here in obedience between Moses, between Aaron, all the congregation, and the Levites, everybody doing what they're supposed to be doing. Verse 23, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall come to do duty in the service of the tent of meeting. But wait a minute, didn't we just read in chapter four that it's only supposed to be ages 30 to 50? Well, remember, I was telling you that later on, we will read that it is 25. So the way that we we reconcile this is that it was likely that they entered at 25 into a five-year apprenticeship or like a training. And then at the age of 30, that's when they would be fully consecrated to be able to serve in the tabernacle. 
And from the age of 50 years, they shall withdraw from the duty of the service and serve no more. They minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard, but they shall do no service. Thus shall you do to the Levites in assigning their duties. Now, I'm sure many of us are thinking, wow, I sure would love to retire at the age of 50. But while the Levites were to retire from the physical labor, they still continued to serve and minister. But the way that the world paints the picture of retirement, it either markets it at a poolside in a sunny destination or maybe even a retirement community. And while I do believe that we should absolutely be able to enjoy the retirement years in leisure, I have also seen a rapid decline in a person whenever they stop pouring into others. There is something to say for the vitality of life coming from serving, from mentoring, from teaching. And if wisdom is indeed with the aged and understanding in the length of days, we have a whole lot within us whenever we reach retirement to give unto others. So heart check, what does your retirement look like? Does it include the continuation of serving in some way or does all work cease? But the greatest thing that I love about this is that it shows the heartbeat of God that He never intends to overburden anyone. He presents a timeline when you are in your prime to do the physical labor. And then after that, I'm going to remove you from that, but you're still going to work in a capacity that suits you. Chapter 9, they're going to celebrate the second Passover. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So we are about a year out from when they first came out of Egypt. And of course, this being two days after the tribal offerings, saying, let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. So Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so the people of Israel did. And there were certain men who were unclean through touching a dead body, because remember, you had to be purified before you could take part in the Passover, and of course, touching a dead body would make you unclean, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day, and they came before Moses. Moses and Aaron on that day. And those men said to him, we're unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? And Moses said to them, wait that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So here we see sort of that case law, right? Something happens. And so now we got to figure out what to do with this. So Moses being as wise as he is, it says, you know what? Hang on here. I'm going to go ask the Lord about it. I'm going to go pray about it. And then I'll be back to bring you an answer. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if any one of you or your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, so if they're traveling, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. So he's like, listen, nobody is exempt here. Everybody's going to have to keep it at some point. In the second month, on the fourth day at twilight, they shall keep it. So they have to wait a whole month to be able to make sure they are clean, but they will eventually celebrate the Passover. 
They shall eat it with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for the Passover, they shall keep it. But if anyone who is clean and is not on a journey fails to keep the Passover, so basically if you don't have any excuses as to why you can't keep it, that person shall be cut off from his people because he did not bring the Lord's offering at its appointed time. That man shall bear his sin. So this cutting off off was likely an exclusion or a shunning from the covenant community and the blessing. So sometimes being cut off means death. I don't think this one meant death. And if a stranger sojourns among you, so this would be a resident foreigner or a resident alien, likely someone who has circumcised themselves, they have come to the faith, they want to be a part of Israel. If they want to keep the Passover to the Lord, according to the statute of the Passover, and according to its rule, so shall he do. So God is making a way for all people. You shall have one statute, both for the sojourner and for the native. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. So this is what we know as a theophany, which is an appearance of the glory of God. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out, or if it continued for a day, and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in the camp and did not set out, but when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. So I'm not sure if you noticed it or not, but this sounded a little bit poetic or song-like, and so some scholars believe that this may have actually been a song from verse 18 through the end of it, it even being tagged the song of the journey. But in the end, here we have a covenant people. They've been organized, ordered, cleansed, set apart. They're blessed. They've been provided for. They have very specific instructions. And yet they still need divine guidance by way of a cloud in order to make it to the promised land. Whenever it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. And the waiting for it to pick up again could sometimes mean months, maybe even a year. But they needed to wait because they were only to be where the presence of God led. And let's not miss this because most of us are always asking, what's next, Lord? Where do you want me to go? I mean, I get it. I'm a visionary. So I will see things and I quickly want to move ahead. But I have had to learn to be still whenever he is so that I don't miss the purpose in the present. So we really should be asking, Lord, what do you want me to do right now while I'm here instead of looking for the next thing? So heart check, are you always looking for what's next or are you seeking to know what to do in the here and now? 
Chapter 10, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets. So these trumpets very different from the shofar or the ram's horn. And these were to only be used by the priests of hammered work. You shall make them and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking the camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, Then the chiefs of the heads of the tribes of Israel shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord, your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies." On the day of your gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So let's just sum this all up here. The trumpets were used for convocation, so that means assembling the people together, for mobilization, meaning set out, get ready to go for confrontation or for battle. There were battle cries, celebration in order to celebrate the feasts and the festivals. Now, we are very familiar with two trumpet blasts in the Bible. The first one having been at Mount Sinai, whenever the Ten Commandments were given, but the second trumpet call has not been sounded yet. That is supposed to happen right before the rapture. But here, ultimately, this was their system of mass communication. Because imagine trying to tell millions of people without cell phones what to do. And I don't know how many of y'all have AT&T and your phone probably turned off the other day when there was that solar flare, but I know people were starting to panic. And we actually face a dilemma of the opposite nature of what they were going through. I mean, we do have cell phones and all sorts of noise going on around us. So it lends to serve this heart check. Amid all the noise in your life, are you able to determine God's trumpet calls? Verse 11, in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they are setting out in an orderly fashion, in harmony with faithfulness. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The standard of the camp of the people of Judah set out first by their companies and over their company was nation the son of Aminadab and over the company of the tribe of the people of Issachar was Nathanael the son of Zuar and over the company of the tribe of the people of Zebulun was Eliab the son of Helon and when the tabernacle was taken down the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari who carried the tabernacle set out and the standard of the camp of Reuben set out by their companies and over their company was Elizer the son of Shedir and over the company of the tribe of the people of Simeon was Shalumiel, the son of Zurishaddai. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. Then the Kohathites set out, 
Carrying the holy things in the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. And the standard of the camp of the people of Ephraim set out by their companies, and over their company was Elishamah, the son of Amihud. And over their company of the tribe of the people of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Padazar. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Benjamin was Abidan, the son of Gideoni. Then the standard of the camp of the people of Dan, acting as the rear guard of all the camps, set out by their companies, and over their company was Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Asher was Pagiel, the son of Okran. And over the company of the tribe of the people of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. This was the order of the march of the people of Israel by their companies when they set out. And Moses said to Hobab, the son of Rule, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, so Rule, you may see his name as Jethro. Remember, Rule and Jethro were two different names of Moses' father-in-law, same person. We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give to you. Come with us and we will do good to you. For the Lord has promised good to Israel. But he said to him, I will not go. I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Please do not leave us, for you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will serve as eyes for us. And if you do go with us, whatever good the Lord will do to us, the same we do to you. So what is going on here? Moses is asking his brother-in-law, who obviously knows the wilderness very well, if he could be their set of eyes in order to guide them. But didn't God just say that he was going to guide them by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire? So why would he need to ask Hobab? Well, I was wondering, is this a lapse in faith of Moses? Or is this him simply sharing leadership and using a human instrument that may have been given by God? I don't know the answer to it because there is no open rebuke here. We don't see God actually scolding Moses in any way for asking Hobab to go. And I honestly don't even know if Hobab didn't go with them. He said he wanted to go home, but it never did say that he actually did or did not go with them. However, what we do know from Judges chapter one is that Hobab's sons actually settle in Judah. So it could have been that he did end up going with them. Verse 33, so they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days journey. So this was kind of like a three-day scouting trip. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, return, O Lord, to the 10,000 thousands of Israel. And I just said to myself, this is a good prayer. We should be praying this prayer over our children every time they leave our house. Arise, O Lord, and let the enemies of my children be scattered and let those who hate them flee before them. We can pray that over ourselves as well. But I was like, I never paid attention to that prayer before, but I thought that was a good one that really we all should be praying. So let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. How can we apply the dedication of the Levites to our own lives? Which aspects of the dedication service are still applicable? Is the age 30 to 50 still relevant today? In what way? What might be a pillar of cloud or fire that guides us today? And how important is it still for us to follow this? How significant is the allowance of foreigners to celebrate the Passover here? How is this represented in the church today? And do you believe Moses asking for Hobab's guidance was a lapse in faith? 
So Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your divine guidance in our lives. We are so grateful to be a part of the covenant people whom you have called, cleansed, purified. You've set us apart. You have blessed us. You've provided for us and you have given us eternal instructions through your word. And so I pray that we never lag behind or even try to move ahead of your presence. We know that your timing is perfect, so I pray that we will never grow impatient in seasons of waiting for you to move. Help us, Lord, to hear your calls above the noise in this world. The enemy wants nothing more than to keep our ears clogged with every other frequency but yours. And so I pray that we stay tuned in so that we never miss a call to gather, a call to set out, to fight, or a call to celebrate. Thank you, Lord, for never leaving us to do any of that alone. And I pray that we continue to keep our eyes focused forward in the place that you have illuminated for us, never looking backwards at the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, for we know that regret will never lead us into promise. But the promise of your word will light the way into your purpose. And as we walk in that light, may we also be the reflective surface by which the entire world sees your glory. May we never stand in the way of that, trying to soak up all the light for ourselves and ultimately ending up in the darkness. For anyone fighting through darkness today of depression, Lord, I pray that you will illuminate every dark corner of their lives and break that bondage of that spirit that holds them down. Set them free today in the name of Jesus. And for those who might feel lost, I pray that you will grab a hold of their hand and divinely guide them to where they need to be. And for those of us who are pushing to set out but feel stuck, help us, Lord, to recognize whether or not we are trying to set out when the cloud is not yet lifted. And I pray that you will speak to our hearts and show us what we need to do in the here and now so we can find our purpose in the present. But I pray that when you do say to move, that we don't get stuck in the place of preparation or in the fear of not being ready because the reality is we will never be ready or enough, but with you, all things are possible. You are our strength. You are the way maker, the one who makes it possible. So I pray that we do not sit back waiting for an opportunity or a handout, but I pray that we will reach out whenever we see it in front of us. And I pray that we will live our lives with both light and holiness, never straying too far to the left or right where we get caught up in legalism or thinking that because we're not walking in the sin of others that we're somehow now the judge over their lives. And may we not be a people who condemn, but ones who carry your heart, Jesus. I pray that we will be the light of the world, loving people, showing them mercy and kindness, weeping over them, praying for them, inviting them in rather than shutting them out. Forgive us, Lord, where we may have done that. But I also pray that we do not operate in a mindset that because love covers a multitude of sins, that it means that sin no longer exists. It is still just as serious as it was whenever you pronounced it in your word. So may we never stray from standing firmly in your truth. For we know that your standard of holiness has not changed from day one. You have simply given us more chances than we deserve to align ourselves with that holiness. So we thank you for that. And while we are in our prime, with the ability to do the work, I pray that we will show up each day with eager hearts and willing hands. For those who are now in the retirement phase of life, Lord, I pray for continual strength over them. I pray for an abundance of wisdom to continue to pour out of them, keeping them vibrant until the day that you call them home. 
Help us, Lord, to be a people who desire to mentor and to teach others in your ways. We know that in doing so, we will store up treasure in heaven as we invest in others while here on this earth. So we thank you for this time that is so, so precious. May we never take it for granted. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us, and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer. And I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.